gosh. I got like a frog. Like a frog. <laughs> if you like left all that in, people would be like, all right, well, I'm done with this show. <clears throat> You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. And before we get started, we want to thank everyone who has taken the time to either rate or review the show so far. And if you haven't, would you take a minute to do so? All the ratings and reviews really help us get the show in front of as many people as possible, and it'd mean the world to us. But thanks again for all the great support so far. We love bringing the show to you every week, and we're glad that so many people, more and more every week, have found Commute and enjoyed it on their Commute. On this edition of Commute, these days it seems to not really matter all that much whether you live out in the country or in a city. Deer find their way to your backyard. So where do they all come from? We'll discuss the unique life and the lasting legacy of Robert Wadlow, the tallest man in history. Some of the best things in life come about by chance including one of the most influential marketing mascots in history. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. Jay, you don't strike me as much of a hunter. Have you ever been hunting, or better yet, have you ever even entertained the idea of hunting? I have never been hunting. Um, I do have a nice uh, scar right between my eyebrows from one of the first times I shot a gun with a scope. I thought you were going to say, but I do have a nice gun I could use because Jay actually has the smallest gun I've ever seen. So think about like (laughs) one of those guns that James Bond hides in his sock. That's the kind of gun that Jay has in his house. Now, I will say, you know, as an established Eagle Scout, I did have my shotgun shooting merit badge and my rifle shooting merit badge. Yeah, but they just give those to anybody. But Jay, I also (laughs) don't strike most people as a hunter when they meet me. For starters, and I'm only half joking when I say that I'm scared of getting dirty, which is basically what (laughs) hunting is. But I also get bored really easily. Yeah, I give you a countdown of about 10 minutes. And if you haven't seen the deer or whatever animal you're looking for, you're (laughs) out of there. Seriously, sitting in the woods, Jay, all day without food, water, or toilet and not being able to talk to anybody. That's basically the recipe for my nightmare. But Jay, being born in a region that lends itself to hunting and having some friends and family members who really enjoy it, I kind of get it, I guess. I I mean, looking specifically at deer, outside of the sport of it in the potential eating deer meat aspect, I've always heard that hunting helps to regulate the deer population. So, Jay, if that's true, why do we still see more and more deer in our neighborhoods? We see them in big cities and small cities. We obviously see them in largely rural areas, yet we also see them in more suburban places as well. Well, my friend, here's the thing. America in general has a deer problem, and it's likely not going to get any better. Before the Europeans settled in America, there was an estimated 30 million wild deer in the eastern U.S. alone. 
By the year 1900, due to unrestricted hunting, that figure had fallen by, get this, Jay, 99%, with deer actually being on the brink of extinction. Conservationists saw the issue and started to lobby for some deer-specific legislation in hopes of saving the deer population. The problem, though, Jay, is that they succeeded a little too well. Today, the deer population has exploded, exceeding those early pre-America days, and deer, while perhaps cute to some, are a nuisance to most. With our gardens resembling buffets, why would they ever leave? More buildings and cars in an area mean less opportunities for natural predators like coyotes. But even more than being a nuisance to gardeners, large deer populations can be horrible for the environment. In fact, a report from the Nature Conservancy declared that no other threat to forested habitats is greater at this point in time. Not lack of fire, not habitat conversion, not climate change. The biggest threat to the environment? Deer. Deer populations threaten tree seedlings, birds, and native plants that contribute to an area's overall air quality. And they're also kind of dumb, if we're being honest. And that makes them dangerous, Jay. Nearly 2 million car wrecks per year are caused by deer, resulting in hundreds of deaths and 30 to 40,000 serious injuries per year. And Jay, getting rid of deer just really doesn't have much of a solution. Scientists have even tried to make certain deer populations sterile to cut down on reproduction. Because get this, a single doe, a female deer, can have three baby fawns per year for up to 10 years. 30 kids. <laughs> and as I said at the onset, hunting, by far the most effective population control tactic, is on the decline in the U.S. Since the 1950s, the deer population in America has doubled, while the hunting population has been cut in half. So what about something like fencing? Well, you could try fencing to keep deer out of certain areas, but deer can jump as high as 11 feet, so it's hit or miss. (laughs) Jay, one possible solution, selling deer meat. Plans have been discussed in the past to let state-certified hunters sell deer meat to restaurants and at farmer's markets. In fact, while weird to us in America, other developed countries outside of the U.S. already do this. You can order boar in Italy, moose in Sweden, or even kangaroo meat in Australia. But would consumer wallets open, and more importantly, appetites respond to commercial deer meat in America? The research on this is mixed at best. So in conclusion, Jay, unless deer hunting regulations are majorly relaxed or deer meat becomes more mainstream you're probably only going to see more deer in your backyard eating your expensive store-bought flowers instead of less. Well, I know we established at the top that both of us aren't really hunters, but I don't know, this segment sounds like a call to arms to me. I know, man, load up. There's this old lady who uh, lives at the bottom of my street, and she puts out a lot of food for deer. I think it's like a hobby for her to watch them in her yard. She's part of the problem. The problem is that the road goes right in front of her house, and so... It's like a deer block party down there every single day. You know, as somebody who's hit three deer in my car, including one time I hit a deer and the deer flew off of a bridge, I got a problem with that lady. 
So Dave, I was a pretty short kid all through middle school and into the early days of high school before I started kind of hitting that growth spurt. But you were kind of always a tall kid, right? Yeah, I'm six feet tall now. I'm 34 years old. And I was six feet tall when I was 12. <laughs> so when I, was in, when I was in the sixth grade, I was a giant compared to the rest of the kids. I just didn't grow anymore, and everybody else kept growing, so I went from being a very tall person to just kind of average. Yeah, in those early days, they were already charting your path to the NBA, probably. Some people called me tree. <laughs> and there's, there was no one ever that called you tree. <laughs> well, Dave, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Robert Wadlow. Robert Wadlow is, as far as we know, the tallest person to ever live. He's definitely the tallest documented person to ever live. And so Wadlow was born at a modest 8.7 pounds on February 22nd, 1918 in Alton, Illinois. And for much of his early life, nothing really seemed out of place. But Dave, as time went on, it was clear he was different from everyone else. By the time he was six months old, he was already 30 pounds. And at his first birthday, he was three foot three and a half inches tall and weighed 45 pounds. By the time he turned five, he was already five foot four. At 13, he was seven foot four. And when he graduated from high school, Wadlow stood eight foot four. But wait, there's more. He would ultimately go on to reach a height of eight foot 11 and showed no signs that he would have stopped growing if not for his untimely death. So what in the world was going on here? Why did Wadlow grow so quickly? And ultimately, why did he never stop or even slow down? Doctors that studied Wadlow's anatomy eventually determined when he was 12 years old that he had hyperplasia of his pituitary gland. And this was causing an excess of human growth hormones in his body, causing the rapid growth. Now, Dave, if you're born with this condition today, there are medical options such as surgery and medicine that can halt the growth process. But since this was 100 years ago, medicine didn't really have an answer for Wadlow's condition. So on his life went, a life that he attempted to make as normal as he possibly could. Wadlow, at least from the records we do have about him, actually seemed to have a very normal childhood. He attended school, he was involved in activities, and it was even in the Boy Scouts, you know, my guy, right? He loved photography, and he even collected stamps. Now, as time went on, though, Dave, the toll of such rapid growth did begin to come with a cost. Wadlow lost feeling in his lower limbs to the point that he required the use of a cane and leg braces. But in the mid-1930s, Wadlow was contacted by the Ringling Brothers Circus and recruited to be a regular on their traveling show. He became one of their main attractions and drew pretty impressive crowds. As his renown grew, he took on other opportunities too, such as being an ambassador for Peter's Shoe Company, since they created him custom-sized 37 shoes. Wadlow traveled all over the country promoting shoes, and when he wasn't traveling, he had a pretty quiet and simple life. He enjoyed music and art. He actually played the guitar until his hands literally grew too large to be able to play it anymore. And anything written about him describes him as reserved and polite and mild-mannered. And photographs of him, Dave, that exist today, they're pretty jaw-dropping when you see him compared to someone of an average height. But behind all the fanfare and the man, there were many challenges. Wadlow had incredible difficulty doing things that we would consider normal, and the world around him had to constantly be adjusted to fit his size. 
Car seats had to be removed in the family car. Furniture had to be adjusted or specifically made to fit him. And obviously, any clothing had to be custom made. And since Wadlow couldn't feel his legs either, he often missed when he sustained injuries, and ultimately this led to his tragic death. In 1940, a blister had formed on Wadlow's leg that he missed long enough for it to get infected. And by the time the doctors got involved, it was too late. Wadlow's immune system was very weak, and the infection moved fast through his body. Wadlow passed away at the young age of 22 at the final height of 8 foot 11.1 inches. A 10-foot-long, 1,000-pound casket carried by 18 pallbearers laid him to rest at a funeral attended by thousands. His legacy continued well past his death, though. His hometown of Alton, Illinois, has celebrated Wadlow in the years since as a hometown hero of sorts, erecting a bronze statue of him outside the Southern Illinois University School of Dental Medicine and placing photographs and other items on display in the Alton Museum of History and Art. Statues of Wadlow can be found in the Guinness Book of World Records Museum and the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum, so visitors can stand beside the statue and compare their own height. Singer-songwriter Sufjan Stevens wrote a song titled The Tallest Man, The Broadest Shoulders about Wadlow's life that appeared on his 2005 best-selling record, Illinois. And so while the man himself was large, the legacy he left behind was pretty large as well. So really, my only frame of reference on somebody even close to being that tall is a friend of the show and friend of mine, NBA legend David Robinson. And so when I met David Robinson a few years ago, of course, one of the first questions I asked him was, where do you buy your jeans? He told me that he had to have all of his clothes custom made. David Robinson, former NBA star for the Spurs, is seven foot one. So you think about that, Jay, and really, once you're a certain height, it's almost a disability. Yeah. Anything you read about him, it was like, okay, he was in school, but they had to make him a special desk. And then he worked here, and they had to make him a special you know, car. Yeah, I should give D-Rob a call. I haven't talked to him in a while. Yeah, he'd probably answer and go, who's this again? Like, how did you no, even he, get this number? He's no. <laughs> You're who again? Dave, it's Dave. Jay, in the world of advertising and marketing, companies have oftentimes, through the years, adopted a mascot or a spokesman, whether it's Tony the Tiger for Frosted Flakes or the Geico Gecko. The mascot becomes the brand, and the brand becomes defined by the mascot. So, Jay, do you perhaps have a favorite or least favorite mascot that comes to mind? Uh, Favorite mascot, I'm going to go local here. We live just down the road from a small community called Polka, West Virginia, which is where my wife's actually from. And they uh, have a small high school, and their uh, mascot are the dots, the Polka dots. As far as mascots that I don't like, I'm about to give you a hot take here, uh, I do not like Gritty. So you know Gritty, right? Yeah, so the Philadelphia Flyers mascot. And why don't you like Gritty? Well, I mean, have you ever seen him? He's terrifying. (laughs) I don't know what he is. He's always, like, stalking people in the crowd, trying to be funny. And uh, he's just got this, like, this like sociopathic face. He does really annoying skits. I'll give you that where like he dumps cartons of milk on people. Yeah. Like he's trying to, he's trying to be edgy. It's like, he tries to be edgy. Jay, when I think of company mascots, I immediately think of a mascot who doesn't wear much of a costume and isn't a cartoon. 
Now, this mascot is simple, yet has been very effective. And Jay, in a world where marketing mascots have often even been considered an endangered species, this one has ridden consistent popularity now for over a decade and a half. Jay, I am, of course, talking about Flow, the iconic progressive insurance icon. A mascot whose rise, believe it or not, happened by accident, all thanks to five unscripted words. Jay, let's journey back in time to 2007. Progressive Insurance had less than zero brand identity. Often mistaken for Progresso Soup, the company hired ad agency Arnold Worldwide to come up with a new brand identity and build out a new marketing concept. Arnold settled on the idea of a superstore, rationalizing that if customers thought that shopping for insurance was akin to waking up in hell, a gleaming white superstore experience would make them feel like they'd gone to heaven. The original commercial, which aired on January 14th, 2008, featured a superstore customer exclaiming, Wow! Shocked at how much he saved by switching to Progressive. The Superstore cashier, an enthusiastic young woman named Flo, then blurts out, completely unscripted by the way, Wow! I say it louder. And a marriage was born. When she said that, we realized she really had something special. She was a character with real character. Former Progressive Chief Marketing Officer Jeff Sharney told Fast Company, That character was completely unplanned, but we saw it and we jumped on it. She became the center of this ad sitcom. It took us a couple of spots, but we started to move the focus from the superstore to her. And Jay simply put, flow works. In the decades since her commercial debut, Progressive's business has more than doubled from $13.6 billion in 2008 to between $30 and $35 billion today. The company as a whole has even experienced a growth rate of nearly 25%. So who is Flo, really? Well, Flo is played by a former stand-up comedian, actress Stephanie Courtney. Courtney attended the legendary Groundlings Theater in L.A. and has appeared in many TV shows and movies, including an iconic role as Marge in the first season of the hit AMC show Mad Men. Courtney doesn't give interviews very often, but she did tell USA Today a few years ago that the character of Flo was inspired by her mother. And channeling her mom's positive persona has changed the entire insurance industry. Insurance companies have now seen, because of Flo, the power of making insurance at least appear to be friendly and fun. Stephanie is a very gifted performer, and she has a fundamental likability, vulnerability, and normalcy. Arnold Worldwide Executive Creative Director Sean McBride told Fast Company, Even when we ask her to be dry, she really has a nice way of making it feel like a very human moment. And Jay Flo has attained a level of status that few brand mascots ever achieve. She's become a part of the culture. People dress like her for Halloween. She's seen on billboards in small towns and in big cities. And that cultural footprint has helped guide the evolution of the campaign. As Flo has journeyed out of the heaven-like insurance superstore, starting in 2010, where she's gone now out into the real world, where she's been ever since in the commercial spots. 
Progressive has, in the last few years, added a male character, Jamie, side note, who I find to be very annoying, to its ads with Flo, as well as other added new characters who have their own separate campaigns, like my personal favorite, Dr. Rick, the character who tries to keep new homeowners from turning into their parents. But Jay, even after all of these years, love her or hate her, it's Flo that still pays the bills for Progressive. The Dr. Rick commercials do not miss. Anytime They're I've so ever good. seen one of those Every commercials, single one. I just like lose it. And then it comes on again, and I laugh again because I notice things <laughs> in it that I missed the first time. <laughs> and that's hard to do. That's really hard to pull off. But Jay, we all obviously know Flo, but how about some other big company mascot names? Okay, you ready for this? I want to see how versed you are in mascot land. Okay. All right, you ready? Here we go. All right, how about the mascot for Cheetos? Do you happen to know his name? I think it's Chester Cheetah. Chester the Cheetah. There you go. Okay. All right, number two. We got three of these. Number two. How about Keebler Cookies? Oh, gosh. Is it? It's probably something like Elmer the Elf or something like that. Close. Ernie. Ernie Keebler. Okay. He's the, the lead elf. And Jay, finally, a hard one that you'll think is easy. Pillsbury. You're telling me the Doughboy has a name? The Doughboy has a first name. So Pillsbury Doughboy is his last name. His first name, Poppin' Fresh. <laughs> is it? Is it Poppin' and then Fresh, or is it Poppin' it's, Fresh? I think it's Poppin' Fresh. The is his middle name, and then Pillsbury Doughboy is his last name. And that's it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out. We're on social. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jay Sisson, I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week. He goes, hoo-hoo. <laughs> you do that once. Do, do the hoo-hoo. Wait, you want me to do it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Hoo-hoo! <laughs> that was awful. <laughs> I mean, uh, you, you probably prepped it before you came in here. Like, you're in the, you're in the mirror doing it.